of priests and actors. Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. Yesterday, Jim began a sermon called Substance, Not Shadows, referring to the New and Old Covenants respectively. The service in the temple was only a representation of the real thing. It was a pre-enactment. Yes, that is a real word. It was a kind of drama starring the sons of Aaron. Today, we'll continue to think together about what these things mean and why God chose to reveal His truth in this way. Here's Jim at Hebrews 9, verse 1. Look, now the first covenant, Sinai, also had regulations for ministry and an earthly sanctuary. They had the tabernacle and they had the laws, the social laws, how to behave, what to do if people violated the laws. All of that was what made that covenant, and it had both regulations for ministry and an earthly sanctuary. Now watch. For a temple, a tabernacle was set up. In the first room of that tabernacle, which is called the holy place, were the lampstand, the table, and the presentation loads. Behind the second curtain, the tabernacle was called the Holy of Holies, two compartments. It, in the Holy of Holies, it contained the gold altar of incense, the Ark of the Covenant, covered with gold on all sides, in which there was a gold jar containing the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. The cherubim of glory were above it, above that ark. The cherubim of glory were above it, overshadowing the mercy seat. It is not possible to speak about these things in detail right now. There, you escaped. The writer realizes if he were going to unpack everything that these symbols represent, it would take another 10 chapters. So I'm going to follow his good example. But what was the purpose of this? Why did all of this need a new covenant, why did all that have to change? Why was that not effective? What was his purpose? Look at verse 6. These things having been set up this way, the priests entered the first room repeatedly performing their ministry. They trimmed the lamp. They put out fresh showbread. They brought in incense to burn on the altar of incense in front of that veil. The priests repeatedly performed their ministry in that first called the holy place. But the high priest alone enters the second room, and that only once a year. Only the high priest, only once a year, never without blood which he offers for himself, and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. Verse 8. Mark this. Come back to it when you have a moment to reflect. The Holy Spirit was making it clear 
Let me paraphrase that. The Holy Spirit had designed this building and the function of the priests, both in the holy place and the holy of holies. The Holy Spirit in this whole design was seeking to make it clear that the way into the holy of holies had not yet been disclosed. You could say opened. The second the Holy of Holies, that second part of the tabernacle, was closed. Only the high priest, and he only once a year could go there. And yet it was in that compartment that God's manifest presence was demonstrated, sometimes in the Shekinah glory, always in the elements of the cherubim, the mercy seed, and the various, the various pieces or the various articles that were contained in the Ark of the Covenant. You see that? What's the Holy Spirit teaching? Only the high priest goes back there. He only wants a year. The rest of you who are worshipers, you can't even come through or into the first part where only the priests were allowed. And none of the priests, except the high priest, could go into the second Holy of Holies, the very presence of God. So what's the Holy Spirit teaching by the list? He's teaching us that the access into the Holy of Holies was not yet disclosed or opened or available while the first tabernacle was still standing. Wow. While the tabernacle, which then morphed into the temple in Solomon's day, while that tabernacle temple system had been ordained by God, set up by God, and was diligently practiced according to the rules and regulations, while that was of God, it didn't provide access for the worshiper to actually come into the presence of God. The worshiper was still outside, outside the building. Even the priests were not allowed into the Holy of Holies, the presence of God. When the high priest went in, he dare not go in without two blood offerings, one for his own sins, and then one on behalf of the people. So this marvelous edifice and all of these functions of priests and sacrifices and all of these symbols of God's presence and God's yearning and longing to be in the midst of his people and to have his people in his presence, all of those things both illustrated God's desire to be with his people. It also illustrated you can't come to God, to his presence, through this system. Incredible. That's why it needed to be replaced. And of course, tell me what happened to that curtain 
that divided the holy place from the holy of holies. What happened to that curtain? Yeah. On a Wednesday afternoon, on a hill close to the temple, there was a cross with an impaled man. Two thieves, one on each side. For six hours, he struggled. Toward the close of that sixth hour, he said, it is finished. And the moment he spoke that word, he dismissed his spirit, and that veil was torn in half from the top to the bottom. Not the bottom up, top down. Who tore that curtain? God tore that curtain. He might have had angels on assignment to do that. Just as he had angels on assignment to roll back the stone from the grave. But dear friends, listen. At the moment Jesus Christ died on the cross for the first time, access into the Holy of Holies was available to you, to me. Incredible. And the dramatic way that the veil was rent, illustrated and punctuated that that period of probation, that period of the old covenant with the priests and sacrifices and curtains and objects and holy of holies, that that barrier was broken. A new high priest, a new sacrifice had been accomplished, and it opened the door, opened the veil, so that priests could go in, worshipers could then go in into the very holy of holies. Incredible. That's why that was there. Now, the writer's going to go on and emphasize this for, for a while. We'll, we'll, not, we'll not leave this topic. We'll be back here again soon. Let's finish the paragraph, though. Now, watch. The Holy Spirit making it clear through the design of the building and the function of the priests. The Holy Spirit was making it clear that the way into the Holy of Holies, where God's presence was, had not yet been disclosed while the first tabernacle was still standing. This is a symbol for the present time, a symbol, not the substance, a symbol during, uh, a symbol for the present time during which gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the worshiper's conscience. See that this is a symbol for the present time. That's probably a key to the date when this epistle was written. The present time would seem to mean that the temple was still standing. And that the writer is writing this while the temple and the priest and the high priest and all that went on over there in, in the temple before it was destroyed in 780, that all that was going on at this present time. 
That's the clearest and easiest understanding of that phrase. If not that, it means that during the present time, the time when those things were present, what you had was a symbol. You had, you had actors playing out roles to depict a marriage. But there was no consummation. There was no bride and groom who became one. The liturgy was said. The desires were there, but it's only a play. It's a play about something that's much bigger, much more real. But during that time, those were symbols. And everybody knew it. Now, why were they symbols? Because the, the gifts and sacrifices which are offered in that system cannot perfect the worshiper's conscience. They are physical regulations, and they only deal with food, drink, and various washings imposed until the time of restoration. What does that mean? Well, that means that all of those animal sacrifices, all of those drink offerings, all of those festivals of celebration celebrated something that they couldn't produce. Why? Because man is flawed from his spirit or from his heart outward. Man has social problems, and sometimes he thinks that society is to blame. No, society didn't make you a sinner. You will express your sinfulness and selfishness in society. But you see, the blood of bulls and goats had no connective power. They couldn't arc over. They couldn't get at the real problem. The real problem was in the heart of the worshiper. And what does the new covenant promise? I will write my laws in their hearts, in their minds. And when I do that, I will not remember their sins against them anymore. Why? Because in the new covenant, we have a new high priest who offers a new and better sacrifice. One that's not just physical and tangible and, and ceremonial, but one that is substantive. That's why it was necessary for God the Son to become man. That was the connection. We could not become God. We couldn't attain to the perfection of God. So God, who is perfect, had to humble himself and come into our world and become one of us 
so that he as man could be made sin for mankind and thus in his blood pay the price that our blood owed. See that? That's how the connection is made. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight that we live in a time when the substance, as Paul wrote to, to the Colossians, the substance is here. Jesus did come. He was God. He is God. He did become man. As man, he voluntarily became our substitute. And while it was God doing it, it was God as man doing it for man. And we tonight bow and say, Hallelujah. What a Savior. And his resurrection, as we've already heard tonight, lifts us out of that which is only physical. It gives us hope which is way beyond the grave. It promises that as he was raised, as God raised him from the dead, so he is going to raise each of us who place our faith and trust in him. And through the power of his resurrection, the spirit of God could come and live within us, actually live in our physical body. cleansing us from sin, imparting to us your life, working within us to cause us to will to do the things that are native and natural to God in his perfection. What a Savior. And as this passage soon focuses his high priestly ministry is not in a physical, earthly building, church, synagogue, mosque. It's in heaven. Heaven. His high priestly ministry on our behalf is taking place right now in heaven. He's already there. And as we've been told already by the writer, he is our forerunner. He is our representative. He is the model, the example. In him, our eternal life is secure and assured. Your head's bowed, eyes closed tonight, dear Christian friend. If, if your faith is in a religion, shift the focus of your faith. You don't need a religion. You need a savior. You need someone who can come into your heart, into your life, change you from the inside out. 
And that one who would be your savior is a guaranteed deal. Right now, Christian friend, placing your faith in Jesus Christ is a done deal. And he's already in heaven and his every waking moment is focused upon ministering to you and to me, purging our conscience, correcting our conscience, empowering our decisions, transforming our lives, and making us comfortable, making us like our Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't that tremendous? Take a moment. Thank him for that gift. Thank him that you right now know you are saved forever. Because through the power of his death, he changes the conscience. Doesn't give you a new suit of clothes, a new set of rules, doesn't give you a new must-do list. It's all done. Instead, he gives you a new relationship with God. So tonight, Christian friend, you can do what no Old Testament high priest could ever do. You can stand right now at the throne of grace in the presence of God, forgiven, cleansed, and perfected. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this wonderful book and for the incredible truth it teaches. Help us not just to grasp with our heads, but with our hearts. Transform us, we pray. And should there be someone here tonight that feels outside, someone who is not sure of their own personal faith in Jesus Christ. I pray that you'll draw them to just trust you, just receive you as Lord and Savior. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. The old system was an array of barricades, keeping sinful men away from the presence of holy God. And the priests acted out a drama among those barricades, prefiguring something better, something real. On Right Start Today, we've finished another message in the book of Hebrews, and Jim calls this one, Substance, Not Shadows. Ask for that title if you'd like to have the message on CD. We'll send it to you for a gift of $7 or more. If you'd like all 19 sermons in our God's Ultimatum Volume 1 series on CD, just send a gift of $66 or more. We are encouraged. Every time you send us a note or an email or a contribution, we feel confirmed in our resolve to keep spreading God's Word. We are called to serve listeners, and some listeners are called to support us. Would you pray about lending us a hand right now as the year ends? That would help a lot. Please reach us by mail at Right Start, P.O. Box 437 Worthington, Ohio, 43085 USA, or by phone, call 1-800-984-2313. That's 800-984-2313. 
and at our website, rightstartradio.org. You can re-listen to today's broadcast or go back into the audio library to hear previous radio shows. You can play or download Jim's complete sermon audio, and if you'd like the convenience of getting the podcast every day, we'll show you how to subscribe. There's an email link, and of course you can make a secure donation at rightstartradio.org. rightstartradio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. We're starting our Christmas week celebration a little early. Tomorrow, Jim will ask, why were the angels happy? We hope you can join us on Friday for the next Right Start. <laughs>